Jack, how's it going? Great. How about you? Thank you for having me. I uh, can't complain. It's a beautiful day. It's nice and sunny after a bunch of rain. So uh, I've got Jack Marr with me here. And um, for folks who may not be aware of your work or who you are, give us a, give us a 10,000 foot view of, of Jack. Sure. The, the 10,000 foot view of Jack is uh, a guy who uh, went through the military, came out into sales and marketing, uh, moved into IT to help bring a, you know, a, a sales and marketing perspective to IT and is now coming back to the business saying, guys, it's time for the business to take over IT again uh, and doing it in a way that will be good for everyone, including IT, the business and your customers. Yeah. So you uh, you wrote a book called The Leader's Guide to Digital Transformation. What was uh, what was that book really about and who was it targeted at and what's really the overarching message? Sure. Uh, so um, the, the book's called Standing on Shoulders, A Leader's Guide to Digital Transformation. And it was originally written um, to help senior leaders understand all of the moving parts that need to happen to be successful in, a, in the digital age that we now uh, live in. And um, it's, it looks at the, the why and, and how uh, and to a degree even what you need to do as a senior leader to prepare your organization to move into the, the digital age, what that means, what it will take. Um, and, and just as we've seen in other significant transformations of you know, our, our socioeconomic base, you know, we're going to see a lot of disruption um, throughout industry. Some industries have, have seen it already very dramatically. Amazon in the publishing industry, you know, Gutenberg and his press started the information age and um, Amazon really shut down the information age side of that and be, and started the digital age. So they were sort of, I, I refer to them as the alpha and the omega. They're alphas of the digital age and omegas of the analog or information age of information. That's the kind of dramatic change that almost every organization will go through. And so this book is to help senior leaders prepare for that, uh, be able to have realistic, honest, um, authentic conversations with their leaders, their um, business partners, you know, whoever they need to create an understanding with about the resources that are going to be needed and the changes that are going to have to be made and, you know, what those changes will look like and, and most importantly, why. Um, and so that's what this book was geared towards. And we're finding that it's even more useful a lot of times for uh, two different groups. One being the, the junior leaders of today that are looking to move up in their organizations, that are looking to make a mark, that are looking to do the right thing for themselves and their, and their organization. Um, and so we see that, that those folks can really grasp um, the basics of this. It will resonate with folks about ideas around, you know, being um, good to people, doing the right things for the right reasons. You know, we find that when you have a, a very healthy and vibrant team relationship, that mission accomplishment you know, goes way up, along with the satisfaction of, of being part of something that's bigger than just yourself or working for more than, than just money. You know, and, and there are so many examples of, of, of good leaders doing that today. And as we see more and more boomers retire, A, this is a great way to you know, help manage up to those folks um, and then move into the leadership roles for those that aspire to by you know, doing the right things for their organization, by bringing this message back and helping them get on the journey that will either you know, enable them to disrupt their uh, industry 
or to be competitive with the disruption that's maybe already going or or soon coming. It's interesting. So you mentioned doing good for people and having that mission accomplished feeling. And that's something that keeps coming up over and over amongst millennials being one of the primary um, keys to uh, work-life happiness, per se. So what are some of those you know, keys, you mentioned the key points to what it takes to, to move on in a digital age, especially for senior leadership and, and the young folks. What, what are some of those key things you're finding amongst millennials when you're talking to them that they're really looking for and, and that you're helping, that you're finding yourself being able to help them with from a guidance standpoint in the workplace? Right. So it, it really starts off with and and we need to have senior leaders involved. And it's perfect, uh, you know, in terms of the opportunity to have every level of leadership involved and aware and understanding. But one of the first things that we need to do is to sort of stop and reevaluate who and what we are and, and why we are our reason for being. You know, one of the terms for this that's very popular right now is the golden circle, uh, a guy named Simon Sinek. Um, has has popularized. And it, and it really is a great starting point. It says, who are we? What What is it that we are chartered to do? Why do we exist? If we went away, what would not happen? You know, who would not be served? What would be the loss? And to begin with that, start with why we do what we do. And then we can look at how we do that, because that's where we're typically going to find the differentiation between us and other folks that are competing for the same space. And then how we do that or what we do, you know, becomes far less important. However, in this new digital age, it's just as important for a carpenter to be in the digital world as it is for someone that's a software developer. So we really need to get this message out to folks. And and as you mentioned, you know, the millennial focus on more than just work and, you know, being connected to that. And we see so many great examples of when folks are, you know, working for a cause that they believe in and they have the ability to contribute significantly to it. And they're a part of that. That overall satisfaction goes way up and people are more able and willing and invested to become more collaborative, to be more um, uh, innovative, to you know perform at, at higher levels and, and derive more satisfaction from the job well done and the mission being served. And the other group that I really want to see the millennials uh, ally with are the veterans uh, of our uh armed forces that, you know, they have a unique focus and understanding of what it means to, to have a mission and what it means to be a team and the ability to to work, you know, with it and through those teams. And, you know, when we have the, the, the difference and diverse skill sets between, you know, that and there's really a high degree of, of overlap in that population anyway. So, you know, as we bring those together, we can really see an opportunity on on teams, on the way businesses operate, you know, in today's world, uh, a tremendous advantage of, of shifting from this functional organization that's a relic of the industrial age and move into the team space um, and, and collaborative uh, way of, of focusing on value. And, and that's really the key when we talk about digital transformation there are tools, there are technologies, there are, you know, approaches and techniques. But really, the most important thing is, is refocusing ourselves on what our mission is, and the appropriate values, you know, and those are the people. And then what mission are we are we accomplishing? What value are we creating 
and delivering to our constituents, to our customers, you know, to those folks that we serve. And, you know, we tend to talk about it in business terms, especially in this book. It's been, you know, it was written in a business atmosphere, but it's every bit and possibly even more important to nonprofit organizations and other folks that may not have the same profit motive, but certainly have the same need to focus on, you know, the value that they create and deliver to whoever it is they're, they're doing that, whether that's meals, whether that's indigent care, whatever that might be, you know, getting that refocus and aligning your resources with your reason for being will only do good things for your organization. And, you know, treating people right, you know, it it not only feels good, it's very effective. You know, we look at the different kinds of teams that operate, whether it's through the military or, you know, other examples, you know, we can see that the, the group of individuals are more than just the sum of the individuals, that the value they bring becomes synergistic together and particularly with diverse sets of, of folks. So, you know, there's a whole lot that really comes together that typically matches where we see, you know, a lot of the, the thinking uh, in the millennial age. And I'm super thrilled to see that uh, work out that way. So you mentioned that a carpenter has just as much need to be in a digital age as somebody in IT. So take a step back. Explain what you mean when you say the term digital age. Sure. There's really three things that comprise the digital age, and I won't do a dissertation on that, but I do have a pretty short nine-minute video um, on my uh, Binge TV channel that goes into more detail. But, you know, there are also some blog posts that I've done that look at, you know, the, the ability to participate in markets now becomes global. And so, you know, for a a carpenter and especially anybody who has grown up in the past 30 years, you know, have have had digital instruments, digital processes and capabilities at their fingers as long as they can remember. Toddlers routinely use iPads, things that, you know, doing things that 30 years ago would have not even been comprehensible. But What we see is that if you want to be able to bid on jobs, get jobs, get paid, you know, pay your taxes, you know, anymore, particularly in any kind of commercial environment, it's it's necessary to do that online. So that's really the first plunge for folks, even if it's something as simple as, you know, getting your business filings in place, you know, paying your um, uh, workers compensation, all of those things require electronic tools. So the same kinds of things that we really used to have to do with, you know, uh, very big systems and corporations, even individuals need to do those things today increasingly. And, and I foresee a future where, you know, the, the for example, if we look at Jim, our carpenter, one of the stories I tell and, and using him as a persona is that, you know, he loves being a carpenter. But, you know, there's the, the weather isn't always appropriate for that. He's also figured out that, you know, the, the work that um, his wife has been doing for years as a programmer is something that that he can be just as good at. And so when the weather is bad or maybe there's just an interesting piece of work, you go out to a, 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 what I call the, the bazaar, which is essentially a, a commoditized, monetized GitHub kind of environment. You can look for you know pieces of, of code that need to be developed, um, identify the test requirements, create it, submit it, get paid right on the spot. And we can open that up for any number of folks, whether it's a displaced coal miner in West Virginia or, you know, a, a, a carpenter in, in rural Russia, 
you know, where there's 10 feet of snow outside and we're not going to be doing any roofs for a few months, but, you know, has the ability to, to connect to the Internet. It makes this idea of, of location being a component of work and really turns it on its head. So what have you noticed were some of the primary differences amongst the boomer leaders you've dealt with and the, and the millennial leaders you've dealt with? It, it tends to be night and day. Now, again, any generalization is going to be inherently wrong. But the boomer generation, for the most part, has grown up in a, a functionally oriented command and control style of environment. Um, most of the boomers didn't have a lot in the way of things like group projects that the millennials have had throughout their entire scholastic career. Um, similarly with, with the tools, you know, boomers are typically not as willing to, to try new things. They're not as comfortable with technology. You know, some of the concepts um, can be really, you know, confusing uh, and, and almost not um, uh, attainable or accessible you know, by seniors. On the other hand, you know, the, the millennials have, have long, you know, worked in, in groups together um, and uh, understand, you know, why one type of technology may be suitable for an application where others would not. And the ability to um, work with different kinds of groups and some of the cultural expectations I think of, of the millennials are, are different today. It's okay to be good in different things. It's okay to include a lot of different kinds of, of folks um, to, you know, be able to say, you know what, this didn't really work out the way I thought it was going to, but, you know, um, we can learn from that and move on. Those are all things that and we see, especially when we see teams develop in a agile space or a lean space. And, you know, we see younger leaders starting to, to take um, control and, and, you know, help guide teams and build teams. And we see those behaviors much more organically than we had seen historically from the, the boomers. Interesting. So elaborate a little bit more on the cultural expectations of millennials. Give, give, a, give a little bit more finite detail there. Well, I think there's a, there's a, a pretty interesting uh, activity that, that I see take place, especially among the millennials that, I, that I've been exposed to. And that is, um, unlike some of the stereotypes on social media, millennials are very willing to, to work hard. And really what they want to do is they want to dig in more deeply and understand um, more deeply and ensure that, you know, the uh, priorities and the values of whatever they're working on is in alignment with their own value system, where in the past, other folks may have been able to compartmentalize it more and associate, you know, their personal feelings with their work. We don't see that as much with millennials. We see that come out in a number of different ways. We know that, you know, most millennials are, are far more socially active um, than their predecessors more willing to state and explain and defend their thoughts and, and ideas. Um, and that there's really no such thing as a work-life balance. It's all one thing. It can't be either or. And so the more the, the constraints that separate those two are uh, you know, reduced or eliminated and more alignment there is between what they do, how they do it, where they work, who they work with, the causes they support, when we see more alignment like that, you know, we can we see you know greater growth and innovation and, and satisfaction um, in folks. You know, in the uh, in the boomer world, you know, we we don't see those kinds of things. We see a lot more resistance to change, a lot more concern or, or fear about 
the rate of change where millennials have seen, you know, a tremendous amount of growth in their time. The boomers are, are staggered by, you know, the dramatic changes. Um, and so I, I think there's, there's, there's a, a component there of, you know, boomers as they, you know, tend to slow a little bit, finding increasingly difficult to deal with the increasing um, amplitude and frequency of change. Whereas uh, for millennials, you know, it's always been, you know, a crazy change of a new feature every minute kind of a ride. And so it's not as disruptive feeling uh, to the most boomers in my experience. So why do you think boomers can compartmentalize their work more efficiently relative to their personal life, lives and, and millennials have a harder time doing that? Well, I think in my, and again, this is, you know, kind of reaching out there at this point in, in, in speculation, but I think a lot of it was because you know, we um, as, as boomers have long had this expectation that the images that we have seen in the news, that the, the information that we have received from journalists and, and, and government sources, you know, we're, we're always, we took them at, at face value or, you know, if there was a concern, it was, you know, it was pretty expressed and, and it wasn't the transparency that we experienced today. I had a really uh, interesting and, and funny conversation um, with a couple of my, my kids the other day um, and talked about journalists and news and media and the difference um, and how, you know, it used to be that there were folks like Walter Cronkite, Walter Cronkite or Edward Murrow, who, you know, were idols and, and you know, how they, you know, expressed the facts. Um, they were, were diligent and, you know, you were left to, to come up with your uh, own opinions. And uh, <laughs> two of them looked at each other and rolled their eyes a little and looked at me and they said, oh, that's so cute that you thought so. And it really struck a nerve because it was like, you know, I really have no reason to believe that they, there weren't the same kinds of um, uh, concerns and issues back then. I mean, whoever owns the media ha and ha you know, has an agenda, has an opinion, and of course, they're going to be supporting more of, of their own than the others. And that's you know, pretty easy to say at face value. But looking back and applying that and, and thinking about how we may have been just as misled in the past as we know we are today, you know, it was really a, a kind of a shakeup for me. Um, and I know that, that there are a lot of folks that feel even more strongly about, you know, how things used to be and, and the reality that they probably weren't that much different. Only now we have a little bit more visibility, more transparency, good, bad, or indifferent, as well as the, the amount of, uh, information that we are blasted with every day and, and the relative inability for us to assess its true value and, and accuracy. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, the, the boomers, you know, will look at that and just say, you know, I, I just can't deal with that. I can't process that. So I have to go with, you know, what I know and believe. And, you know, they came from households that were very clear, very, uh, very specific uh, in, in terms of roles and, and expectations and behaviors. Mm. And we're seeing today, you know, that a lot of those, you know, were never true. We're never right. We're never the right thing to do. Um, and, you know, it's, you know, we, the millennials are the ones that have, you know, been, you know, in the forefront of going, hey, you know what? No, no, that's that's not OK. And this is what we're going to do and, and do differently. Uh, you know, I hope I continue to see that positive trend.
Yeah. So basically uh, what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, millennials, because of the constant communication and the constant transparency of our lives, there's no way to compartmentalize. Right. Your work, you is your personal, you is your church, you is your married, you is your, you know, basketball, you, et cetera. Um, right. Whereas, you know, 50 years ago, you could go to work in the city and be one person and then come home and be a completely different person. Completely different. Right. And in many cases were. Yeah. Well, and you know, one thing that you mentioned earlier that I thought was really interesting is you said that there was a lot of parallels between veterans and millennials. Elaborate a little bit more on those. What, what in particular are you seeing that, that are the common threads amongst those two groups? Well, number one, I mean, when we talk about, you know, age uh, demographics, um, you know, there's there's a, there's obviously a lot of, of overlap there, um, but I, I, I think it goes beyond that. And you know, in in the military, there has been a concept of of team, and and, and, it, and it goes across you know all of the armed services that you know it, it has never been um, an individual thing versus business um, uh, until very recently has always been. You know, absolutely a, a win or lose. There, there was no win-win. And, and of course, when when you have a team, in, whether it's a you know sports team or or a military team or whatever, you know, you end up with a, an appreciation for you know the other folks that are in your team. And you know, you learn real quick, especially in the military, the guy next to you might not really be your buddy. He he wouldn't wouldn't been your best friend back home. But when you develop that sense of team, you are just as willing to, to to die for him or her as, you know, he or she is for you. And it becomes this, you know, we are a team. We are bigger and better. And there are so many benefits that come out of, of that approach, of, of the team approach. You know, and, and it doesn't matter what you're doing. Um, you know, when we look at how we, you know, do whatever it is we do at the core of every business, we are in some way or another creating and or delivering value. And so as we focus on how, when and where we do that, we create the value, we, um, you know, deliver that value. And the more we focus on that and do that as a team, we're able then to, you know, get things right faster. We're able to incorporate different ideas more quickly. When we look at a digital transformation, we want these teams to feel like they really own this product, whatever it is that they're creating and delivering, that they own that. And, and they are obsessed with getting that into the hands of customers, you know, in, in the best possible way. And, you know, by being this team, by having this team focus and, and being able to focus all of that on being customer obsessed and fulfilling our roles in the creation and delivery of value, that, you know, we can get very focused on that. And, and as we, you know, align ourselves and our organizations and our missions uh, together, we then begin to see that, the kind of synergy that we talked about before, where we are all joining together on this cause, this, this cause is our customer. This cause is, is what it is that we're here to do. Um, and by coming a part of that and by, you know, using a, a team approach that enables um, the resiliency of, of work. Uh, a lot of times we'll be able to see folks who bring a different um, skill set 
Um, and when we blend those skill sets together, we can see things like cross training. So, you know, we can become more resilient as a team. We can see where we can bring the skills from one perspective um, to another and blend those into almost like an alloy of metals um, and and get the, the best of those and continue to to focus on this improvement because we're helping each other. You know, it's in a, a transparency of, of work. Um, and we, you know, do this not as individuals and, and pass, you know, over the wall to the next guy, but rather, you know, we have these teams and we're continually delivering and we're, you know, getting feedback and, and making sure that we are doing the best that we can. And, you know, that's where these teams that we've seen built, you know, either in, um, you know, scholastic world um, or in some cases with sports um, and with the military, you know, we can see how we bring these different teams together. And if we apply that to how we work, how that might be more effective, it might be more satisfaction building for everybody involved. So it's, it's almost as if you're describing a combination of cross-pollination and a rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah, I, I'd see both, both of those are, are absolutely true. And, you know, there's also a, a really big, healthy dose of, you know, Humility and respect for people, understanding that, you know, my skill you know, may be, you know, very limited, but by itself, it's not worth anything. You know, it's only when we when we do these things together and by, you know, uh, having the respect and humility to be a part of a team, to be a good team member, stepping up when you should be the one that steps up, stepping back when it's time for somebody else to step up, you know, and, and focusing on, you know, our mission uh, objectives and, and accomplishment. You know, it, it really just adds so much to, to the situation. And it's almost as if, you know, with millennials growing up in such a connected age, it's everybody's more humanized to them. It, it's not just a, a profit or loss or a number on a spreadsheet. We understand that there's a humanity to every individual and, and a skill set that comes with it. Absolutely. And that we can, you know, learn and, and, you know, benefit from that, from, you know, that cross pollinating at the individual level by, you know, you know, dealing with folks that, you know, historically in, in the boomer functional world, you know, we would write a memo and, and send it through the inner office mail. We would, you know, give these presentations, but there was no conversation. There was no discussion um, and so by, you know, knocking down those walls and, and having this ongoing conversation, you know, that enables um, more richness in the communication so that there's more fidelity of understanding of, oh, you know, I could have read that sentence 15 different ways. And, you know, I didn't read it the way that you just explained it to me. So, you know, this conversation saved me a whole lot of, of asshole. You know, and, and that's what we've seen from the millennials with the constantly connected state as you're, as you're uh, suggesting. So what did you mean by the title when you said standing on shoulders? Well, one of the key things for my co-author and I, um, when we came into an organization that needed to make some pretty dramatic changes. And we knew that we did not have all of the answers. So what we did was we really uh, went out and, and spent a lot of time doing R&D and identifying you know, the best things about um, our respective uh, domains in organizations that were doing well. And so, you know, for example, I went out and spent some time with Nordstrom out on the West Coast looking at the, their approach to 
collaboration and innovation um, and, you know, working with, with them in a, a really interesting uh, format. Um, and my uh, co-author has worked with many different companies, you know, and, and most of the thought leaders in the, in the DevOps space. And so um, Carmen and I were tasked with, you know, how would this organization move from the mishmash of, of methodologies lots of waterfall and and really old school approaches to doing technology work how can we take this enormous um, organization at that time uh, over 8000 associates and move them from whatever they have been doing into you know an approach that would work in teams in an iterative and agile way that would enable us to accomplish DevOps technology practices, you know, that we could, you know, transition this organization. And, and it had to be relatively fast. Um, you know, at 8,000 people, it's, uh, it's tough to move that kind of an organization, let alone do a, a full pivot. And so what, uh, what we did was uh, he, from a tooling standpoint, me from a process and design perspective, basically worked through how, um, technology uh, development and delivery uh, should work in an organization of um, agile development teams with um, lean processes and and focusing on the the value that each company brought. And you know, one of the interesting things about that company was it was a collection of nineteen companies under the same name, but you know the the teams and and what they did were very different from one organization to the next. So it was interesting and fun and sometimes challenging to try to replicate, you know, the same kinds of uh, processes and, and thinking and approaches across uh, very, very different environments. But we found that the the common threads uh, made it uh, you know something that it was in some cases, challenging for folks to begin to wrap their head around. But the more they invested themselves, the more they they got into it, the more they realized how much better it truly was. And it was really cool to go through some of the transformation, you know, processes and and see folks with their crossed arms and frowns on their faces. And very obvious, they didn't want to have anything to do with whatever this new transformation thing was going to be. And then as they they went through the process and they began to see that, you know, empowerment wasn't just another word on a poster, but they were actually getting the capabilities to make execution decisions without being second guessed and, you know, set up processes that they had the ability to directly impact how they do their work, what they do, the tools that they use. And, and we went from, from folks who were you know, very adamantly opposed to what we were suggesting to being our, our, our biggest cheerleaders and advocates and in many cases, even coaches, you know, with their local teams, you know, when, when we were, weren't there anymore. So it's, you know, it's been really cool to go through that process. And this book, it really synergizes all of that. It takes the great learnings of folks like Edward Deming from, you know, back in the 50s and, and the early starts of Lean and all of the knowledge that's been accumulated, you know, over the years. And, and so the standing on shoulders is really an illusion. There was a, 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 a lot of folks in science heard of uh, Sir Isaac Newton actually quoting the quote that uh, starts off our book about being not necessarily any uh, smarter or being able to see any better because of themselves, but rather because they see further, they, you know, have a greater statue because they stand upon the shoulder of science. 
Um, in fact, recently on uh, Instagram and, and LinkedIn, I, I posted a picture of our book um, on uh, a stack of books that are, I think, currently the industry leaders. And it, it was it was interesting and fun and awesome that uh, Carmen and I both worked for a guy named T- Tom Pater, who was co-author of the book that's at the bottom of that stack, the Lean IT Field Guide. And other folks uh, that uh, Carmen has has worked with, I know and have worked with some of those. Carmen knows every single one of them. Some really tremendous thought leaders. And we're able to take all of those ideas and bring them together into this one cohesive package um, that enables you to understand how lean and agile and DevOps work and why they work um, and to be able to put together a plan that's sustainable. One of the things that's been a real problem is organizations have done these these very expensive transformations, huge investments in tools, and they haven't seen the return on that, haven't gotten what they expected. In a lot of cases, it's kind of like an unexplained weight loss. If, if you know if if you needed to lose the weight and, and you lost the weight and you're probably pretty happy about that. But you know, if you don't change the way you eat, if you don't change the way you live, if you don't change your exercise and, and you know, uh, output, then you're going to end up putting that weight back on. And, and part of what this book really addresses is how do we do this in a sustainable way? How do we know that this transformation is going to be different than the others? And a lot of it's because we're building on those. We're connecting the dots that weren't connected before or may not have been connected properly. Things like automated testing was sold by consultants and software uh, vendors um, with the completely wrong message, reset expectations, you know, uh, or they set expectations inappropriately. Um, and now they wonder why they don't have the kind of, you know, uh, relationship with their customers that they, they should have because they didn't, they didn't sell it right. You know, we can come along and help with that. But, um, you know, what we're really trying to do is, is give people the ability to see this sustainable model and how and why it works and pick and choose those things that are right for your organization and, and your folks. And, you know, not all of them will, will apply, but by understanding what these are and, you know, looking at how you might apply them to your organization, it gives folks the ability then to do some, you know, planning and estimation and do the kind of, of work with the, the resource that provisioning up front that they're going to need to be successful. So, so what is, you've got this concept called putting all your wood behind one arrow. What does that actually mean? So yeah, it's a great idea in terms of looking at one of the biggest problems that we, we see when we go in to do these transformations is that folks tend to be time slicing. They tend to be split up over multiple projects. And every time they have to, you know, go through this transition from, okay, well, I was working on, you know, this report, but now, you know, I, there's a rush order and, and I need to respond to this to my boss or incoming phone calls or, you know, another project that's now higher priority. What we really want to do is, is take an, a, a real strong look at how much work we, we have people, you know, we, that we ask them to do and realize that time slicing doesn't work. It, it's okay with a processor, um, but with a person, not so much. There's a ton, ton of overhead when you make the transition from whatever you were doing to what you're doing next. And what would be much better for the person and typically for the organization in terms of actual productivity and throughput is to do fewer things at one time 
So, you know, we want to reduce the amount of work in process. And if we if we think about it from an arrow perspective, you know, if, if we have one arrow that is on our bow and we and we use that you know bowstring to, to propel propel that arrow forward, if we have one on there, we have all of our focus is going into that one place. And there's a very high probability that that arrow is going to go where it needs to go and it's going to do what it needs to do. On the other hand, if we put three or four or more arrows on that same bowstring, we won't be able to control any of them, most likely. And they're not any of them going to have the kind of flight that is necessary, the kind of ability to penetrate their target. So we really want to reduce the number of things that we do, let folks do those things better. What we actually find, and this is really based on a lot of science from lean in industry and production, um, that single unit flow is the most efficient and the fastest and the most effective through an organization. And so that's what we really want to do. An ideal world is a unit flow of one where we have put all of our wood behind that one arrowhead. Interesting. So basically multitask less. Yes, because multitasking is, is, is just not true. And the more we try to do it, the worse it gets. Well, and that's something millennials are just really guilty of is – because we live in such a connected age, we're all constantly all doing a million different things at once. And, and that part's not going to happen. You know, it's not going to change in, in many ways. So, you know, at some point in the not too distant future, we're going to look back at today as being the good old days when things were nice and slow. And it, it's ridiculous yeah. to think about that. But, you know, think back to a year ago. You know, was that the good old days? Yeah, it was a lot slower. It was a lot easier. And that's only going to increase. So, you know, we have to, to you know, come to terms with that. We also need to get to the point where the folks that are running the show are seeing things that way. Most of us are still at some point or another still reporting to or, you know, have some organizational structure above us that's controlled by a functional organization or, you know, folks that think in terms of individuals and documents as opposed to teams and activities. You know, today's world needs to be teams and activities. And as long as we have those individuals and documents and, you know, deadlines as opposed to satisfaction, um, you know, we're going to see some of those those symptoms. Yeah. It's an interesting conversation because it's it's such a transitionary time. Um, but we are we're running up on time for this episode. Um, so, you know, I wanted us to wrap it up. And I always like to ask ask the guest the same question. If um, if you could go back to 18 year old you knowing all that, you know, and knowing all that, you know, about yourself and the world and how it's changed. What's one piece of advice you would give yourself at 18? What I would give myself at 18 is to realize that, you know, the what I thought and, and what I was seeing and the conclusions that I was coming to, um, I, I should have been more um, forthcoming with uh, that. My ideas were at least as good and sometimes better many times. And yet I stood on ceremony. I you know, I, I bit my tongue and I bit my lip when, you know, people that were older than me and, and people that had more experience with me, you know, um, had us do things that I was pretty sure weren't right. And I, you know, I, and if it was significant, you know, I said something. But too often, you know, I believed that I didn't have enough knowledge or experience yet. And the reality was, you know, we're all figuring this out and it's all changing together. So, you know, I think that and I, and I like what I see with the millennials that. 
they don't, they do tend to stand up more for themselves. They do tend to say, Hey, what about this? Or, or how about that? And I love that. And um, I would say, you know, keep, keep after it when you know, you're right. Stay on it. I love it. So speak out. Uh, that's a, that's a great, great lesson. Well, um, Jack, I appreciate you coming on. I, um, I'm going to make sure that, you know, all your information, website, et cetera, is in the, the show notes and, I think people will get a lot out of this conversation because I do think it's important for us to just keep a, keep an eye on the prize as things are moving forward in society. And, you know, a lot of the changes in leadership and management, et cetera, and, and just the cultural, if, if we can bridge the gap in the cultural divide, it's, it's good for yeah, all of us. And that's um, the most important piece. And it's maybe the hardest piece, but the culture is everything. Agreed. Agreed. And for everybody listening, obviously, millennialmanhoodcip at gmail.com. You can always get a hold of us that way or on Instagram, social media, etc. If you got people you want us to interview, questions, criticism, constructive criticism only. Don't just complain. Offer a solution. Like Jack said, speak up. Uh, but outside of that, we uh, look forward to speaking with you guys again soon.